0: Perhaps I can just start with the, the big picture, something that you are already familiar with, but I think it's worth uh, reiterating uh, because of the context that we are in and why some of the things we are doing take on greater saliency, if you like. So the starting point I would say is, you know, the economic environment, the prospects, obviously remain quite grim. Uh, and this is arising from COVID-19's impact not just on our healthcare and our social uh, aspects of life, but in the economic domain. And as we emerge from our circuit breaker and begin to progressively open the economy, I think businesses are going to have to deal with the challenges of opening up and sustaining their business and finding new ways and new modalities to operate. And this economic impact, I think, and the potential Challenges that we face are manifested in the, the growth forecast that you've seen uh, for Singapore and also what we've seen for the world as a whole. Uh, for Singapore, as you know, it's the projection is for minus four to minus seven percent contraction this year uh, from MTI. So I think what we face is a challenging economic environment going forward. And in that environment for businesses, I think the challenge is going to be how do you Uh, sustain business going forward and adapt to the new normal and find new modalities to do the business. And I think for workers and Singaporeans in general, I think the overriding consideration is going to be jobs. And that is also the overriding economic imperative uh, for us as a government. We want to focus on jobs, job creation and how we can then place Singaporeans in those jobs. That was the focus of uh, DPM Heng's uh, fortitude budget, and that is also why we have the National Jobs Council, which DPM Heng announced and uh, SM Tharman chairs, and uh, I'm a member of that council together with other ministers and uh, members in the private sector. So, as you say, as you've seen, uh, the Jobs Council, you know, the sort of large, broad objective is to try and identify 100,000 job opportunities. So really, we're going to spare no effort to identify these jobs, whether they are permanent jobs, temporary jobs, part-time jobs, and also traineeships. But basically, job opportunities, which will allow Singaporeans to participate productively in the economy, even in this challenging time, allow them to gain experience and acquire skills, which will be valuable to them not just in this period but certainly for the period beyond when the economy begins to recover and grow. So in that context the question then that arises is where are these opportunities likely to be and this is where um, the whole realm of digitalization becomes quite uh, prominent. As you know um, you know digitalization is not a new message we have in fact been saying this for quite some time but it has taken on added relevance and salience in the COVID-19 environment. Because now when we businesses are compelled to transact uh, online, when we have to work from home, when students have to learn from home and we have to interact virtually, then the whole value proposition of digitalization becomes it crystallized. And that's why I think one of the biggest impacts of COVID-19 has been to demonstrate that digitalization is no longer an optional extra. It's actually a critical necessity for a business, not just because of business continuity, which in itself is important, but also because it is a way for us to create new avenues to transact, to do business and find new opportunities. So that is the context in which we are now doubling down on our digitalization effort at the national level because there is clearly a need and an opportunity for us to give this impetus, digitalization impetus, a renewed push and urgency. So one of the things that you know in terms of jobs is uh, in job creation is the ICT sector, which supports digitalization. But I want to emphasize ICT is not just about the vertical where there is, um, you know, the technical skills and the depth is necessary. That in itself is an important domain where we can create opportunities. But it's also a horizontal. And the horizontal is relevant because every sector now, for example, whether you're in retail, whether you're in food services, you could be in financial services and so on. Every sector now needs digitalization strategies and people who are in that sector who may not necessarily be deep tech people but those who understand both the sector and the nature of the business there but also have enough knowledge of technology in order to see how it can become an essential part of the business operation and strategy going forward. So that's why you see many businesses now beginning to find new ways, whether it is the existing staff being trained to acquire these new skills or bringing in new people to do those sorts of functions for them in their organizations. So what we are trying to do is identify those sorts of opportunities and then find ways to place Singaporeans in those jobs and give them the appropriate training. So a couple of specific things I would like to highlight to you Uh, One that you're already familiar with is our TESA mid-career effort, because we do know that there is a cohort of mid-career professionals out there who are looking for opportunities in these sorts of sectors. And the TESA mid-career advanced program is really to help them make that transition, giving them the opportunity then to start careers in these uh, new domains. The other area that we've just introduced is the uh, company-led training initiative, which really is to work with companies to generate 3,000 job opportunities uh, over the next two to three years. And again, this will be one where we place and train, meaning identify the jobs, place the individuals, and then work with the employer to give the training, and government will come in with the appropriate financial support in that regard. So again, this is another example of how we are doing it. So these two initiatives that I've talked about, they're basically part of the larger TESA initiative, Tech Skills Advance initiative. But what I think is most important here, the Tech Skills Accelerator initiative, but what is most important here is we're trying to identify the jobs, place Singaporeans in those jobs, and then give them the training. So that's the crux of the effort that we're doing on the jobs front. Then if I go on from there, we're also looking at the whole digitalization effort across the economy and in society. So you know that we have been running this SMEs Go Digital program for quite some time now. And SMEs, as you know, are the largest cohort of companies that we have. And they collectively employ a significant proportion of our population in terms of our workforce. So what we want to do is help the SMEs make this transition. So today, about twenty over thousand SMEs have adopted various kinds of SME solutions. What we want to do is to accelerate that process. So one of the initiatives that you've heard of is this digital resilience bonus, which is targeted in particular at two sectors which have been probably hardest hit by this whole COVID nineteen and the circuit breaker measures: retail and food and beverage. So as we open up and they try and find ways to restart their business and start uh, continuing uh, linking up with their customers, digital solutions, whether they are customer-facing solutions like online marketing, digital payments, and uh, you know the ability to then fulfill the order by doing deliveries, that's one side, customer-facing. Internal to the organization in terms of saying, Inventory management, HR management, and so on. So those are more productivity, enhancing efficiency, enhancing measures. And ultimately also higher order things like data analytics and so on. So for all of this, we're trying to support them. And this digital resilience bonus, and I think they can get up to about $10,000 if they adopt pre-qualified solutions from our SME Go Digital program. I think this is going to be an important thing for them as well. So that's on the enterprise side, but we are also moving, as you have heard, and I want to emphasize, deeper, deeper into the community, in a sense, into domains and segments of our society, which some might consider to be the most challenging in terms of digitalization. So hawkers, for example, hawkers, in a way, are at the front line of our uh business interaction with the community. Everybody goes to a hawker center to buy food. It's part of our culture. So if we can get hawkers onto, for example, the SGQR digital payment solution, that at the very atomistic, at the very grassroot level, we are making a very significant transition. And that will have not just the impact at the transaction level, but at a systemic level it sends a clear signal about what we are doing and how we are adapting to a new environment. So the Hawkers go digital is an important part of the work, and the other aspect is, of course, seniors go digital. Again, uh, the old you know our seniors would be seen as a cohort of uh, our population who might uh, perhaps be least inclined to adopt technology. Now I want to say at the outset, my own view is uh, age is not the barrier here. Because I've seen many seniors who have actually demonstrated that it's attitude that counts. So I've seen many who have adopted technology and, you know, been really using it for all kinds of things. So, and, and if you look at other countries like China, for example, where, you know, the use of QR codes for payment, it's ubiquitous. And everybody who, who you know, went to China used to comment about this, you know, how remarkable it is in the way it's done. So it is not beyond our ken by any means, but it requires an effort and we need to also acknowledge that there may be concerns and we have to deal with those concerns. But the Seniors Go Digital program, again, is a very, uh, you know, targeted at the seniors to try and bring them into this. And And it's not about, it's not digitalization for the sake of digitalization. It's about digitalization as a means to a better life more conveniences and more ways to access information on if you're working to be more productive and so on. That's your objective, enhancing our lives. So, you know, the scale and scope, I think I've emphasized this, but let me just say again, you know, our scale, you know, we want to cover all 112 hawker centers uh, over the next uh, two to three months in, a, in, in successive phases. And We also want to reach out to the 100,000 seniors over the next nine months or so, by March next year. So this is a major effort, both in terms of its scale and its scope. And there are many, uh, you know, there are many segments of the population we are trying to reach out to. We are reaching out to them through different modalities and we also have to find ways to, in a sense, uh, the different agencies are involved in this effort, You know, whether it is IMDA, the new SG Digital Office, uh, Enterprise Singapore, NEA, JTC, and so on. And as a result of this, we have decided that government has to double down and make a concerted push for digitalization. And to oversee this, we are establishing a ministerial committee which will be jointly chaired by me and Minister Chan-Chun Singh. And here, through this committee, we will be able to oversee and coordinate the effort. The effort towards enterprises, whether they are large enterprises, SMEs or micro enterprises, and also the digital inclusion and digital society effort, whether it is with seniors, our broad population and our workers and so on. So this is going to be an important part. And I want to emphasize at the end of the day with we have you know very clear plans and targets in place, but execution is going to be key. how we get this done. And that is why you know we have established the SG Digital office. The SG digital office will be a major, will be the point of coordination for many of these efforts. And that is also why we have I said that we will employ, and if you remember I mentioned this earlier, uh, 1,000 digital ambassadors. Again, this is going to be our way of embedding the effort at the community level in order to give it the kind of grassroots level push that it needs to bring about the kind of digitalization movement outcome that we seek. So that's another example of how we are going about it. And we are doing this at at an unprecedented pace, if you like. So let me just give you an example of, uh, you know, what I mean by the, the, we're establishing the Ministerial Committee. We have set up, you know, I announced this initiative about 10 days ago or so on the 31st of May. Since then, you know, we've established this Ministerial Committee. We have established the SG Digital Office. In terms of digital ambassadors, we have deployed 200 digital ambassadors on the ground already, right? And in terms of the Hawker Centre coverage, our teams have covered almost half the Hawker Centres in Singapore in this period already. And they are committed to finish their first sweep of all the Hawker Centres in the next week or two. So that gives you an idea of the pace at which we are moving. So when I say we are doubling down is not just in terms of the resource allocation and the plans, but also in terms of the execution and how we are overseeing the execution. So this is an important thrust for us. And I think it's going to have uh, valuable outcomes, both in the near term, but also in the long term for our community and our society. If I can just make a a few more points on it, you know, because the issue is, execution but also about digital inclusion, working with partners and addressing concerns that are you know, quite real and we need to find ways to deal with them. So digital inclusion, meaning we have to make sure we are reaching out to all these parties like hawkers and seniors and therefore partners become very important. So the hawker centre associations, the hawker representatives, the shop owners association and so on. On the ground, they are going to be very important partners for us. Same way the grassroots organizations and the grassroots advisors because working with them we will be able to go deep into the community, establish the linkages in order to get this transition done. At the same time we're also working with corporate partners who have the technology or the volunteers and so on who can be mobilized in order to support the work that we are doing through the SG Digital Office and the Digital Ambassadors. And the last point I would make is we do need to address concerns that these different segments that we are trying to reach out to may have. So let me start like, for example, hawkers. One set of concerns may be around uh, the technology itself. How complicated is it? Do I need a machine or what? So that's something that we are addressing and we've explained to them clearly how the SGQR code works. You don't need any equipment uh, other than, you know, the, the QR code and then phones and you can settle it. But they also worry about, can I, you know, what if I run into problems with this? And also things like, how will I know a transaction has been done? So, for example, the, the solution that we are, work, we are working with Nets on allows them to get an audio, a vocal uh, signal in either English or Mandarin to say that a transaction has been done. Uh, that's I think on an Android platform, but if it's an iOS platform, they may be able to use a, a sound or something. And then the, you know, you can see it on your screen or the, the customer can show the screen as well to show a transaction has been done. But this is an example of what we need to do in order to address some of their real concerns. Uh, I'm in fact having a webinar with a group of hawkers uh, from my own uh, hawker centre in in West Coast uh, later today and this is part of our ongoing conversation. I had a session earlier with a larger group and a different set of people and now with my own to better understand what they might have concerns about and see how we can deal with them. The other type of concern for example is for seniors. One question is language. Uh, Will I be able to, you know, uh, connect with the language and so on? So, as I said, the payment solution that we're working on has got at least a dual language possibilities. And we're trying, we're working with all the parties involved to see how we can get more of these digital applications into uh, multiple languages, which uh, would be necessary for our seniors. I think that's important. And that is an effort that we are committed to, but we need the cooperation of all the other stakeholders to make it happen. At the same time, uh, another concern, and I think some have articulated this in different fora, is will this whole digitalization push uh, make seniors who may not be so keen on tech feel alienated from society? So I want to go back to where I started on this. You know, digitalization is not an end in itself. It's the means to an end. And the end is to improve our lives. So as far as our focus is concerned, these digital initiatives are to give our seniors more options, more options in the way they get information, in the way that they communicate with the family and in the way they may transact or make payments and so on. It is not about taking away existing options. So at the end of the day, if it is too difficult, then obviously the existing solutions are available to them. But I would want to make two points, two further points on that. One, I I don't think we should underestimate the ability of our seniors to do the job, uh, to make this transition. In fact, as I said, there are many examples of seniors who have, uh, you know, adapted to this marvelously and their inspirations. And some of them are so adept and I've had conversations and I'm, you know, they're doing a lot more than I have envisaged myself doing uh, with tech and so on. So that's one side of it. The other side is, the message is, they don't have to walk this journey alone. This journey, that's why we have these digital ambassadors. We're going to establish nodes in every uh, division in Singapore so that the people are there for them to consult, to have a way to interact, to get guidance, and to be able to then feel that they're journeying together with people. So whether you're a hawker, a wet market stall holder, a senior, and in general in the community, it is a way to give you the chance to find people who can help you in that regard. So it's a bit of a long preamble, but I wanted to contextualise it so that you have a sense of the overall broad sweep of what we are doing. And then we can I can take questions now. I just want to
1: clarify about the Ministerial community. So you said it has been set up since May 31st. I'm not sure if I got that right. And then if yes, have you and Min Chan met for any discussions um, and what has been discussed so far? Um, And also another question is, you've mentioned a lot of things that need to be done. But in the very near term, is there a top priority for this Ministerial Committee and what it is?
0: So first, the Ministerial Committee, uh, we have not had a formal meeting because uh, we are working on multiple things at the same time. But we have agreed on its formation. Minister Chan and I have discussed this. Secondly, uh, we've already got the, the officials are already meeting and discussing, because they will support the work of this committee. Uh, and the secretariat has been established, and MCI will help drive that effort. And the idea is really, because the work is already taking place, as I said, there are multiple strands of work. And the idea here is, is not so much about adding more layers of work. It is more about synthesizing all of this work, having a holistic view and to be able to establish uh, priorities in order to move. And that leads to your second part of the question, which is what are the priorities? So as I said, in a way, there are a few key areas where we can, arising from the the impetus from COVID-19 in particular we can push on. One is helping our SMEs in their digitalization journey. Something that IMDA and Enterprise Singapore have already been doing and we are going further in that regard. And in particular for two sectors F&B and retail because as we come out of the circuit breaker it's going to be a challenging period for them because they have been quite affected by the circuit breaker and COVID-19 and now as they come out we want to help them get onto digital platforms which will help them to connect with consumers digitally make the payments and do all the transaction fulfillments on so that's one area around businesses a second priority is in the micro SME push and the micro SME push is where in particular what we are doing with the hawkers this is something that IMDA is working closely with ESG, JTC, HDB, and, and NEA in order to get to the ground and get their transition done. And we plan to do this, uh, you know, over the next three months, they, the plan is for the teams to cover the ground three times or cover the entire ground completely and to get the, conver- the conversion rates done as much as possible because this is an opportunity because... Many of these uh, enterprises are, uh, the hawkers and so on, are keen to learn, understand how they can do this and benefit from it. So that's the objective. And then when you go a little bit further, you know, because right now with the restrictions because of Circuit Breaker, you can't quite have direct contact with seniors yet, but that will be the next phase in the work. Once we are able to, they will, the teams will start reaching out to the seniors and how we can bring them on board. And this is whether it is one to, one-on-one sort of sessions, group sessions, digital learning journeys, etc. But all of these will have to be done uh, in a manner that is safe, taking into account the advisory with respect to COVID-19. And I would say the overarching, overriding economic focus is job creation. The points that I made right at the start. So that is going to be a major priority, how we can work with the companies and the labour movement in order to find jobs and then place Singaporeans in those jobs and train them. So job creation and job opportunities in order to place Singaporeans in there is a top priority. Getting SMEs onto digitalization and the micro SMEs and the hawkers. This is going to be the immediate work that we can do. It builds on what we've already been doing. The push in terms of digital inclusion on the ground Especially with our seniors, will then gather momentum, and as we deploy digital ambassadors on the ground, and as the circuit breaker measures get uh, progressively eased, we will be able to do more in that regard.
2: Oh, well, wow. uh, Mr. Swaran, you talked about uh, you've deployed about two hundred ambassadors on the ground so far, and have covered almost half of all orchestra centres. I'm wondering uh, what your ambassadors have heard of from the ground so far, um, do they feel that, you know, while we expressed that optimism earlier, but do they, do they have a sense of the, the fear or anxiety on the ground as well? And what do you foresee could be the stumbling blocks ahead, even though you remain confident of the ability of our seniors to actually complete this, transi- um, complete this transition?
0: I think it's a important question. Uh, I, it's like in all these efforts, you hear a spectrum of views. There are the early adopters who basically are, you know, probably the best advocates, uh, you know, for, for this whole effort because they have used it. They have found it to be uh, beneficial and they want to tell people, look, let's get on with it, uh, you know, and in fact, one, uh, one of the Hawker representatives, whom I spoke to and I asked, uh, so why did you do it? They said, well, just try la. You know, it's inimitable the way they put it. It's just try, but with a conviction, the conviction that this is something that can be valuable and in practice it has proven to work. So that's one end of the spectrum. People who have already moved and been early adopters. There is another group who are interested, curious, want to do, but they want to learn more. And they are concerned about things like, uh, is it going to be difficult for me to do? And is there cost involved and things like that. So that is where this present effort is going to be very important because A, we are going to be able to get the information to them. So they understand clearly what it involves. You know, simple questions like, do I have to have a device here? Or is it, you know, something where I just put the QR code. So once you explain it, you know, the switch flicks, right? And people understand, okay, better. Then there's a question of cost and that is where the work that we have done both in terms of the with nets in terms of waiving the cost and the work with in terms of the program where we are giving offering them $300 a month for up to five months if they adopt the technology and use it and meet the threshold requirements. I think that again becomes not just an incentive but an assurance in terms of the cost and the kind of concerns and so on and things like that to address that. So, And then the third thing is, what if I run into trouble? What if I have problems? If I adopt it and I use it, but then I have issues. So that's where the digital ambassadors and their ability, you know, they're there, they're on the ground. It's not like you have to call a helpline, wait for the people to, you know, that kind of thing. Because the fact that we're going to have them on the ground and regularly available and accessible, I think it becomes another point of assurance. So that's, I would say, another large group who are keen, curious, And with these assurances, I'm prepared to move. Then there's, I think, a group that is essentially a little bit, probably a small group, who are really wondering, you know, is this really going to be of value to me? Why do I need to do this? You know, and so on and things like that. So there we need a little bit more effort to persuade, because this whole effort with all the solutions and all the initiatives that we have, the challenge is always the first step, which is, the owner or the business owner or whoever making the decision that yes I want to do this and until they make that decision all of these are nice to have but they will not make a difference so that's the crux of it so with that small group I think we will need to do more work understand their concerns address their fears and see how we can then get them to cross the Rubicon
3: I want to ask a follow-up question. Uh, You mentioned just now that, you know, there's this small group that really need to be convinced. So, uh, you know, during this uh, COVID-19 circuit breaker period, there have been a lot of hawkers and market stall holders trying to go online. But there's also, uh, you know, discussions about how their business model doesn't really suit this uh, online environment. So besides helping them get all the technology that they need and the applications, how do we help the businesses actually survive online? And for example, like, so what if they have the QR code? How does it help their business? Hmm.
0: So, yeah. yeah. So, I and think. What's,
3: what's, what's our end goal with hawkers? Like, hmm. what do we hope the digitalization will help them
0: do? Hmm. So, actually, the interesting thing is uh, if you notice, even in this. Uh, Covid period, many have already uh, become quite innovative. Uh, you know, necessity is a mother of invention, right? So they have all—I mean, several of them uh, have found ways to sell online. You know, tapao.com or some other way for them to get their products online, take orders, package, then those they work with solution providers to deliver and so on and things like that. So. I think the SGQR code payment solution is really a first step because it is basically getting you onto the journey, and it has a a very tangible benefit in that first, from a healthcare point of view, especially in this COVID environment, you're trying to minimise physical contact and so on. So this diminishes that, uh, diminishes the risk, and secondly. It also is a more convenient way. Some of the hawkers have told me, you know, so I don't need to, you know, count the money and all that. It all goes in and I just get a quick account. So it makes them more efficient. It makes things easier for them, right? So that in itself, I think, is a valuable thing. And I think for customers itself, it's an easy thing, right? You can pay and so on. And you don't need to worry about taking cash and contact and so on. So I think that's at a very basic level the first step. But what else can hawkers do? So for example, Uh, One of the things, uh, you know, in uh, conversations like uh, companies like Grab now, because it's like aggregating, you know, when Grab, you can order, right? But now if I can say, provide you a thing where the whole Hawker Center is one platform. So they can take orders from multiple stalls in the one uh, Hawker Center. And if that can then be aggregated and delivered, then there's the same delivery charge is spread out over multiple orders it becomes more competitive for the hawkers so that's one example trying to work together and so on so you know our hawkers are very entrepreneurial what we need them to do is to understand we just need to unlock the potential of digital for them so this sgqr code is one way of doing it you can then see how this can easily move into a digital payment solution. Online payment type solution could be the next step. Because if you can link it, QR code to your account, next thing is linking from the web, the online to your account, right? And then connecting it to a delivery solution and ordering and so on. So I think there is a journey we have to take. And I, and I want to emphasize, I think digitalization is a journey. It's not a destination. Because... Today is SGQR. Tomorrow it could be how you can take more online orders for delivery. Day after tomorrow we don't know what, but we know there are always new possibilities coming on. So we need to get onto that platform so that this whole world of new opportunities is open to us. Then we can let innovation and entrepreneurial energy, you know, take its course. I think that as we
3: emerge uh, more. I mean, as we, we move away from all these strict, strict restrictions, right, and we ease them, do you think that uh, the momentum for the push can be maintained? Because a lot of it seems to be driven by necessity and desperation now, right? There are no customers at the Hawker Centre and you have no choice but to get online. But when people start returning, do you think that, you know, it could affect the push?
0: Um, so here's the thing. Uh, You're right. Necessity is the mother of invention and it gives you a, a, a reason to get things done. But I do believe that even after all restrictions are lifted at some point, I do believe that once our SMEs, our entrepreneurs have had a sense, a taste of what this can achieve, what sort of new possibilities it has opened up for them, I don't think they're going to make a full reversion back to where they were before. So where we are probably going to end up is a combination, a blended strategy, where they will, of course, do some of the things that they've been doing all along in the traditional way. But I think they will now have a new degree of freedom afforded by this digital push. And they will also be looking at how they can take advantage of that. That, I think, is probably where we will end up. So it's not as if it's uh, all of one and none of the other. And in a way, that's not such a bad thing because it means you have a blended strategy, you have opportunities to go either way, and that gives you some business continuity assurance, but at the same time, also new ways to explore opportunities. So if I'm in retail, it's about... Not just how I can reach out to customers in Singapore, but by going online now, you can also think about how can I reach customers internationally. And thereafter, when restrictions are lifted, of course, you will do business in Singapore in the traditional way. But the opportunities opened up by going international will still remain. And you can build on that. Just as an example. So that's my own sense of how things will evolve as we go forward. Not that we're going to swing in one way or the other, but that we will end up finding some kind of balance in the strategies and each business will probably have to settle on the balance that makes the most sense for them in their own circumstances and given their customer profile.
2: Minister, I'm wondering if um, as we embark on this intense push for digitalization, is our infrastructure? Um, I'm not sure what is involved, but like, is, is our infrastructure up to up to that challenge as well?
0: I think uh, the main infrastructure that you need is going to be, uh, first, your mobile, the network capacity in the mobile, and your, your basically your telecoms infrastructure must be able to get, because that's how the communications are done. And as I have said before, our network capacity today has a healthy buffer of about 30%. And, you know, when you look at our experience over the last uh, two months or so, the usage, especially when people were working from home and students learning from home, the usage went up uh, quite significantly, especially in the daytime. Nighttime have been the traditional peaks, but the daytime went up quite high. But it was well within the system capacity and we had healthy buffers. Having said that, IMDA has been working with the telcos to increase the buffer capacity in that regard. The second point I would make is, uh, of course, is uh, the work that we are doing in terms of 5G and so on. So that's like looking to the future. That's going to further enhance the capacity and uh, the, the characteristics of our mobile network in Singapore. You know, all those things that we talk about in terms of 5G latency, being lower, higher volume, faster processing, and so on, supporting more devices. So all of that is going to be very useful and supportive. Not all of it may be relevant for transactions in a hawker center, but if you're a business and SME perhaps in logistics, and say you're moving more and more towards uh, autonomous vehicles, maybe in your in your warehouse, in uh, maybe eventually even some uh, trucking and so on. All of that will require this kind of technology solutions uh, you know, and, and, uh, and the infrastructure that can support it. So I would say our infrastructure, we continue to invest in it uh, ahead of demand and in anticipation of the needs because our infrastructure, telecommunications infrastructure and 5G are going to, are the backbone of the digital economy.
2: I Also have one additional question. Um, you've talked about how our immediate priority is um, securing jobs, especially in the rising, in the growing ICT sector. But we've also heard about and so there's this renewed push among students to, to learn and to learn about this sector. But mm, does it mean that students uh, may have to forego their interests or passion in other
0: fields mm-hmm. to in order to secure a future for themselves in this in this area? Absolutely not, in my view. And let me explain why I say that. First of all, I think we may have passions in different arenas, but as I said, every arena has had to now find a way to adapt to the new normal and digital solutions. Let me just take an example that might be a bit out of left field, but I think it illustrates the point. Let's take arts and entertainment. You know, the conventional modality has been, whether you know in, in terms of live performances and so on, and how we do it, etc., right in a theatre, in a concert venue, etc., and things like that. But we know that you know. You just look at the artists internationally. So many of them are talking about online concerts and new ways of uh, interacting with their audience, with their with their you know followers and their fans and so on and things like that. So. If I'm now someone who's very passionate about performing arts, yes, my craft is the core. That's my passion. That's important. But the way I relate to a wider audience will then find new modalities. And I need to know how I can use these technologies to get across because that is part of the whole process in that field. I can take the same thing and talk about, say, uh, someone who's interested in fashion. You're very passionate about fashion. You want to design. You want to, you know, interact with your consumers. The traditional modalities exist. But you also know that there are these new ways that you can interact and there's ways to you can reach out to your customers, whether it is in terms of the marketing, the promotion or the design interface and so on and things like that. And... I think this is going to be not a stumbling block, but actually an enabler for you to pursue your passion. So I can go on and on giving examples, but the key point I want to make is every sector will need a digital dimension brought into it. That's the fact. It's not just because of COVID-19, because that trend was already happening even before, but I think COVID-19 is, as I said, perhaps given it renewed urgency and saliency, right? But that trend has always been there. So then what does it mean for our young people coming out, the fresh graduates, and for that matter, even uh, those who are already in the workforce? I think because the general economic environment is a tough one, we may not be able to get the dream job uh, straight away. But I think if we are prepared to have some flexibility and take on an opportunity that may not quite be the perfect job or the, the dream, uh, the aspirational job that we wanted, but it gives us an opportunity to learn, to get some experience, and so on. Then it will allow us, when we then have an economic recovery and more normalcy returns, to be able to transit into other things which are more aligned with our maybe our core interests and passion. So that's the way I would describe it. So I don't think digitalization is an hindrance for the pursuit of our aspirations and our dreams. I actually think it can be a key enabler and it in fact affords us many new degrees of freedom. Um,
1: Minister, I have another question on jobs. Mm. So I know you outlined a lot of initiatives that will create like thousands of job over the, uh, jobs, over the tech jobs over the next two to three years. Um, But I wanted to ask, how confident are you that the place and training part can be done quick enough so that we can have an adequate number of Singaporeans to fill these very specialised jobs without having to, say, look overseas for foreign talent? Mm -hmm. And the second part of my question is, how are you going to ensure that older workers will benefit from these new tech jobs that are created, given that they will likely bear the brunt from the job losses um, that are happening or will happen in the very near future because of COVID-19? I know we have the TESA program that was launched earlier this year, but do you have any specific updates that you can share in terms of how many jobs created, how many people have been helped or any goals that you have for the future in terms of this program?
0: So I think, let me just uh, start by saying the key point which you have emphasized is we have to have a sense of reality about the situation we're in. The fact is that the economic environment is a very challenging one. And the outlook is bleak. Uh, This is borne out by all the facts and figures that we all know. And so uh, when we talk about creating jobs, we are making a very strong effort. We're not going to spare any effort in in this enterprise to create jobs. But we also are very cognizant of the fact that across the economy in all sectors, the willingness of enterprises to take on more people in jobs is going to be dampened somewhat by this economic environment because, you know, they will be concerned that, you know, in in the current situation that we're in and given the outlook that we have, a company's decision point would be around what are the things I need to do in order to survive based on the kind of economic environment and the demand I can expect. So they're going to have to make some tough choices. And amidst that kind of context, we are trying to make sure that we preserve jobs for Singaporeans and enable them to uh, be you know, a part of that uh, new possibilities that are emerging. So even in a growth sector like ICT, where you know there has been growth before, and I think it will continue to offer opportunities, but even in a sector like that, we must expect that employers will be a bit more cautious about their hiring decisions. It's inevitable. That is why the work that we are doing involves a lot of deep engagement with the companies themselves and also working with the unions. So if you look at the National Jobs Council, it involves not just government, but also very deeply the private sector and the unions. So we need to work with the enterprises to say, what are the kinds of jobs that you think you, you're, you, know, you have or that you can create? Because it has to match with their needs because they have a plan, but they may not want to incur so much cost at this stage. So what are the opportunities? Then what can we in government do to manage some of the transition issues for you, whether it is in terms of the training and the skills of the people or in terms of the costs? And so, this is where some of the initiatives that we are undertaking will be relevant. So, if I take, for example, the TESA programs are highlighted. IMDA will is working with the tech companies to say, "All right, uh, you know, if you would like, you know, we know that you would like to employ X number. Uh, what are the challenges for you in this environment, and how can we then partner you in order to make it easier to take on this kind of manpower?" And importantly, give them the training and the experience that is going to hold them in good stead in terms of working with your organization or in the larger sector. That's going to be key. So that is, I think, going to be the challenge. So if you're asking me uh, whether it is going to be an easy task, the answer is no. It's going to be a challenging task because of the environment that we are in, and I think we have to be realistic about it. But what we are trying to do is, on the one hand, work with employers to see how we can get them to work with government in order to open up more opportunities, on the one hand. And on the other hand, how we can work with those who are in the job market, whether they are fresh graduates or those already in the market, to see how they can then articulate into this, acquire the skills, and then take on careers in these jobs. So your other question was, can Singaporeans do this? Do we have sufficient numbers? Well, as I said, the range of jobs that we can potentially create are from tech-heavy tech jobs to tech light jobs or tech-complement jobs. So depending on the kind of job that's been created, the level of uh, technical knowledge that's needed will vary so where they are more tech light if you like is where those of us who come from non tech kind of backgrounds or quasi tech kind of backgrounds with some uh, new additional courses or bridging we can get into those roles whereas those who those roles which are more very tech heavy i think then we need to start from a base of those who already have some level of training but they need something to get them to enable them to hit the ground running in those jobs. So you do need a variegated strategy, uh, but the kind of jobs available are quite diverse and our priority is to get Singaporeans into those jobs.
3: All right. So in this climate, if a tech company says like, you know, we still need to bring in more foreigners and if in order to maybe create this department or this new uh, stream of business, what is Singapore going to do? Because it's going to be extremely unpopular now, right? With everybody losing their jobs and Mm. all that, how are we going to manage this? Mm. And then I have another question that's not related to jobs, but since we are talking about digitalization, and in fact, we might be holding an election during this pandemic, are we thinking also about digitalization for elections, you know, for for the process to be able to take place uh, somewhat online so that in future, if there's a pandemic, Singapore is ready to maybe allow online voting or something?
0: I think the latter question, you should put it to the elections department because I'm sure that they're working on all kinds of uh, ideas and uh, what sort of time frame and you know, what they can get done. I think you have to put it to them because I'm not really uh, in a position to answer that. Uh, it's not just about technology. It's also about how you can make it work and ensure the integrity and the entire confidence around an election process is uh, uh, preserved uh, because citizens will be very keen on that before you can make it happen anyway. So I think you should put it to the ELD in that regard. Uh, I think your first point is about the balance between foreign and local and so on and things like that. So I think, let us start, I, I, the, the, in my view, where we can we will do our utmost to place Singaporeans in these jobs. That has to be the priority, that is the priority, and that will be the priority going forward. However, there is always going to be a skills gap in this area, some of these areas, because uh, we may not always have all the people that we need with the level of skill or the requisite skills. And whilst we are committed to training and bridging those gaps, that takes time And meanwhile, companies may need to move faster and we need to find a balance. So our strategy has always been to find a way to complement uh, the local talent base with the judicious component of the foreign talent. So that it comes together in a way that makes the whole bigger, the opportunity is bigger for everyone. That's our objective. So, whilst our priority is placing Singaporeans in jobs, and we will do that and spare no effort in that regard, we will also need to take cognizance of the needs of businesses, and especially in some of these tech areas where there may be some deficits in the kind of skills they need. And where that is so, we need to find this judicious complement of foreign talent. And that's how I think we need to work, because if we can do that, then, the overall outcome is beneficial for all of us because it enables a company to pursue more opportunities and that in turn is going to create in aggregate more opportunities for all of us and that will have to be our strategy going forward
2: for us we mainly serve an audience of readers who do not know english Ah. so i think they are having fear and anxiety about having to deal with technology on a daily basis and And they, I mean, they are willing to learn, but I think they are also hoping for more um, tolerance from the government and from people around them to to, to give them time.
0: So, so I, I think that's very important and I do hope that you can help us get this message across because there are people who feel that we are, you know, rushing headlong into digitalization, come hell or high water, everybody, whoever can't cope will just be left behind. That's not the case right? We are doing this because there's a need, there's an opportunity, and ultimately it's a means to a better life and better opportunities. That's really why we're doing it. But we will always... And so this is going to create more options, but we're not shutting off existing options. And we're also going to be on the ground and helping the adaptation for all our people. So I hope you can help us get that message out, you know. So whether it is having... Uh, digital ambassadors on the ground, whether it is having some of those solutions like the audio trigger for, you know, transaction has been done in English and Mandarin, Uh, whether it is adapting and making sure some of these uh, solutions are available in uh, uh, different languages and so on. That's something we need the other solution providers to cooperate with us. All of this is really just an example of what we are trying to do. So digital inclusion is not just about saying I want everybody to come on board. It's also about doing it in a way that makes it easier for them to come on board. But I will make one last point now because there are some people, in fact, some uh, seniors have told me that, you know, the point you made about patience. Then they say, you know, starting with patience from their own family members sometimes. So actually the the children and the grandchildren can be important partners in the journey for say our seniors, you know. Make it a, a a learning and a fun thing to do together, and so on. Not a not a test that needs to be passed, you know. So I think that would be one thing. So uh, you could you. I'm quite happy to be going to say. I think family plays a very important part in this. Uh, whether it is children and grandchildren, you know, when I talk about the partners we need to work with, it's not just hawker associations or or, or business associations and so on. It's also the family, and helping to help the seniors
2: in their journey.